Take your Bibles, if you would, turn to the book of 1 Corinthians, to the 15th chapter. 1 Corinthians, chapter 15, we're going to look primarily at verses 3 through 8. I read a story about a man and his wife who went on vacation to Jerusalem, and while they were there, the wife died unexpectedly. So the undertaker told the husband, you can have her shipped home for $5,000 or you can bury her here in the Holy Land for $150. Well, the man thought about it and told him that he would just have her shipped home. The undertaker said, why would you spend $5,000 to ship your wife home when it would be wonderful for her to be buried here in Israel and you would only spend $150? Well, the man replied, long ago a man died here, was buried here, and three days later he rose from the dead (laughs) and said, I can't take that risk. (laughs) True story, true story. Well, not a very gracious man, right? But a man who understood the truth of God's word, the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. By the way, I love that passage in John 20. John, this humble man who just refers to himself as the other disciple or the disciple that Jesus loved, but he got it in there, didn't he, in the inspired word of God that he outran Peter to the tomb. I love that. Not only did he outrun him, but he had time to like kind of look inside, you know, catch his breath, and then Peter got there. So that must have been fun. Well, today we're going to look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and maybe you say, well, why, Kirby? Why on this first Sunday in February? It's not Easter Sunday. Did you get your calendar wrong? I understand that Easter is still two months away, but as I prayed and tried to seek what the Lord would have me to preach, this text kept coming to my mind. And I make no apologies because it is Sunday, the first day of the week, and we meet on this day because this is the day that our Lord raised from the dead. Amen? And in a few minutes, we will celebrate the Lord's Supper. We will remember his death, but we must also remember his resurrection from the dead because without it, we have no hope. So 1 Corinthians 15, I want to read verses 1 through 8, and then we will spend our time in verses 3 through 8 this morning. Paul says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance... What I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. Well, I love the game of golf. And once we moved from Illinois to California so that I could attend seminary 
and we reached the poverty level and I had very little free time. My frequency of play dramatically decreased. But before we moved to California, I, I would play golf on a semi-regular basis. Three years in a row, I participated in our Illinois FCA golf marathon where I played 100 holes of golf in one day. That was fun. Sally was my caddy one year. That was a great time. And when I was at Covington Middle School and Covington High School and my little town in Indiana, Covington, Indiana, a little love for them today, my dad worked at a VA hospital in Danville, Illinois. It was about 20 minutes away from our house. And the VA had its own golf course. And it was free for employees and their immediate families to play. And so I got to play a lot of free golf. And sometimes on those hot summer days when it was over 90 degrees and the humidity was about 80%, I would be the only one on the course. And it was great. I had the opportunity to really work on my game. I still stink, but I had a chance to work on it. (laughs) And on that course at the VA in Danville, Illinois, the sixth hole was probably my favorite hole on the course. It was a par three, 160 yards. If you were going to get a hole in one on the course this would be the hole to do it. It was the most realistic chance you would have. It was a straight shot. There was no water in sight, and the green was flat. How many of you like to play golf? Just raise your hand. Wow, not very many. (laughs) I was hoping for a better response. Uh, How many of you wish you had more time and more money to play golf? Okay, there are a few more hands. Uh, For those of you who don't like the game of golf, which would seem to be a majority, um, (laughs) just thinking about just throwing this illustration out by now, (laughs) but if you don't like it or don't play it or don't know about it, in order to verify a hole-in-one, you have to have a witness, someone who sees you hit the ball and watches the ball roll into the cup on one shot. And since I played a lot of days by myself on the course, I was afraid that I might make a hole in one and there would be no witnesses making it invalid. And then I wouldn't get my name listed in the commercial news newspaper like so many other people did in our local town. Without a witness, there was no proof of a hole in one. Friends, Jesus Christ could have died. He could have raised from the dead ascended back to the Father in heaven without anyone ever seeing him. Then he could have inspired the four gospel writers and the Apostle Paul to write in their accounts and their epistles that Jesus had raised from the dead. But this is not what he did. And as we will see in this passage, and as you already know, Jesus raised from the dead and appeared to many who then became witnesses of his resurrection. And so today as we celebrate and commemorate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, which we do every time we meet on Sunday, I proclaim to you that we have evidence beyond reasonable doubt that Jesus Christ did indeed raise from the dead. So I want to help us all, any that might be a skeptic here or those who would like to know how can I defend the resurrection, that is what I would like to do with our time that we have together here in 1 Corinthians 15. I want to give you three evidences for the resurrection of Jesus Christ so that we might have hope in a future personal resurrection. Three evidences for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Number one, we see the evidence of the scriptures. Paul says again here in verses three and four, for I delivered to you 
as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Paul tells us that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and he tells us that he was buried and raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Paul uses the word Scriptures. This refers to the Old Testament. He refers to the Old Testament here for three reasons. Number one is because that was what was available to the church at the time of his writing. Secondly, because the gospel is rooted in and proceeds from the Old Testament. And thirdly, because the Old Testament clearly predicted Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Paul first argues that Christ's death is spoken of in the Old Testament. He calls him the Christ, meaning Messiah, as he looks back to Isaiah 53. The prophet Isaiah looked ahead to the death of Messiah, the suffering servant, by saying in Isaiah 53:3, looking into the future, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. In verse 8 of that same chapter, by oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due? Christ died for our sins just as the Old Testament prophesied that he would. And to prove that Christ was dead, he was buried. Again, Isaiah writes in Isaiah 53, 9, his grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Bible commentator John Perry says, he writes that the burial of Christ points backward to the reality of death and forward to the character of the resurrection. In regard to the resurrection taking place on the third day, we have no specific reference in the Old Testament, but Isaiah foretells the resurrection of the Messiah. In Hosea 6.2, we read that the Lord will restore Israel on the third day. When we read the book of Jonah, we see that that prophet spent three days and three nights in the belly of a fish, and Jesus would compare his death and his burial to this historic event. Matthew 12, 39 to 40. An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, and yet no sign shall be given to it but the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a sea monster, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Gordon Fee says the Old Testament as a whole bears witness to the resurrection on the third day. An early tradition saw the combined evidence of Psalm 16, 8 to 11 and Psalm 110, verse 1 as bearing witness to the Messiah's resurrection. On the day of Pentecost, Peter preached and quoted from Psalm 16, which was written by David. And speaking about David, Peter says in Acts 2, 31, that David looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. John MacArthur says over and over again, either directly or indirectly, literally or in figures of speech, the Old Testament foretold Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. 
no Jew who believed and understood the scriptures, referring to what we now call the Old Testament, should have been surprised that the Messiah was ordained to die, be buried, and then resurrected. Twice Paul repeats the phrase, according to the scriptures, to emphasize that this is no new thing and no contradiction to Jewish belief. And so as we gather here together today, nearly 2,000 years after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, not only do we have the Old Testament, but we also have the New Testament. And in this Testament, all four gospel authors, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, who I believe worked independently from one another, who wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, all affirm that Christ died and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day. The Apostle Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to the church in Corinth, tells us that this indeed took place. Beloved, we have substantial, compelling, and overwhelming evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I had a friend in seminary who desired to go overseas to get his PhD in theology and biblical studies. And the man that he was going to study under at this Christian institution in England did not believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it was really hard for me to understand why he would want to learn from such a man. Why is the resurrection of Jesus Christ so important? And why is this doctrine essential to the Christian faith? Well, first of all, it is essential as it relates to our salvation. Paul says in Romans 10, 9 to 10, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Secondly, it's essential because of how it relates to our future. I want you to see what Paul says later in this chapter, verses 12 to 19 and chapter 15. Look at that with me if you would. Paul says, now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how does some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith also is vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. Important? Absolutely. Essential? Without a doubt. Without it, we have no hope. There would be no reason to come here this morning. There would be no rejoicing. We wouldn't stop and sing with great joy verse four of And Can It Be? There would be no singing. There would be no hope. The Super Bowl would be the event we were looking forward to the most, and we know that's not true. 
We have incredible evidence for the resurrection of Jesus from the scriptures, from the Old Testament, from the gospels, and from the epistles. All declare that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. Secondly, we see the evidence of the witnesses. Verses five through eight. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. Throughout history, the testimony of responsible and honest witnesses has been considered one of the most reliable forms of evidence in a court of law. And Paul's third evidence for Christ's resurrection here is in that form. I want you to hear from a couple men. The first one is lawyer Sir Edward Clark, who says, As a lawyer, I have made a prolonged study of the evidences for the events of the first Easter day. For me, the evidence is conclusive. And over and over again in the high court, I have secured the verdict on evidence not nearly so compelling. Inference follows on evidence, and a truthful witness is always artless and disdains effect. The gospel evidence for the resurrection is of this class, and as a lawyer, I accept it unreservedly as the testimony of truthful men to facts they were able to substantiate. Historian Thomas Arnold of Oxford says, the evidence for our Lord's life and death and resurrection may be and often has been shown to be satisfactory. It is good according to the common rules for distinguishing good evidence from bad. Thousands and tens of thousands of persons have gone through it piece by piece as carefully as every judge summing up on an important case. I have myself done it many times over, not to persuade others, but to satisfy myself. I have been used for many years to study the history of other times and to examine and weigh the evidence of those who have written about them. And I, and I know of no one fact in the history of mankind which is better proved by fuller evidence than the great sign that God has given us that Christ died and rose again from the dead. Paul now gives us five different people or five different people groups that Christ appeared to after his glorious resurrection from the dead. First of all, we see his, his appearance to Peter. Paul says in that he appeared to Cephas. That is Peter. We are not told the exact time or the occasion of that appearance, but it had to be sometime after Jesus' appearance to Mary and before his appearance to the two disciples who were on the road to Emmaus. After those two disciples' eyes were opened to see that this was indeed the risen Lord, we read in Luke 24, 34, that they returned to the 11 and exclaimed, the Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. Of the 11 remaining disciples, Jesus appeared to Peter first, the one who had denied him just a few days before. Jesus, I believe, doing this emphasized his grace to Peter. Peter had forsaken the Lord, but the Lord had not forsaken him. Next, we see his appearance to the 12 here in verse 5. This obviously is the common term given to the chosen disciples of Jesus. 
This takes place after the two disciples on the road to Emmaus reported to the 12 that they had seen Jesus. And all of the disciples of Jesus besides Judas were able to see their resurrected Messiah face to face. They were capable, honest, and reliable witnesses to the most important event in the history of our world. Thirdly, we see his appearance to the 500. Verse six, after that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. The Apostle Paul does not tell us who these people were or where Jesus appeared to them, but he does tell us that at the time of the writing of this epistle, that many were still alive. As he says that most of whom remain until now. These people could have verified that this indeed did take place. What a witness this was. More than 500 people witnessed the risen Christ in the same place at the same time. The quality of specific witnesses as represented by the apostles, all of whom were known by name and could easily be questioned. The quantity of witnesses is seen in the 500 brethren who all saw Christ at one time. Fourth appearance here, we see his appearance to James in verse seven. Then he appeared to James. There are a lot of James that we find in the Bible. We are not told by by Paul, which James this is. We know that two of the apostles were named James, James the son of Zebedee and the brother of John, and James the son of Alphaeus. But I believe that Paul is referring to James here, the half-brother of Jesus. It appears to have the most validity. It was a man that Paul's readers would have been very familiar with by this time. This is a man who was not a believer during Christ's ministry on the earth before his death. And there's a time we see in the Gospels during Jesus' ministry that James and his brothers come and confront Jesus, telling him that he is out of his mind. But James saw the resurrected Christ. He saw his resurrected brother. And he would have known it was really him. He saw him and believed. And what a witness he would have been on the witness stand. Just a few notes about James. James is the author of the epistle that bears his name. James was a key leader in the Jerusalem church. And James would later come to be known as James the just. James the righteous one. Love that. And finally, we see his appearance to all the apostles. Verse seven, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. We see this in John 19. Once when Thomas is absent and once when Thomas is present. In Acts 1-3, we read that to these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Why are the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus so important to our faith? Because if Jesus really raised from the dead, someone had to see him alive. And he was seen by just a few people, wasn't he? The apostle Peter, 
the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, James, the brother of Jesus, the apostle Paul, as we'll see in a minute, on the road to Damascus, Mary Magdalene and the other women, the 12 and 500 brethren at one time. So we have the evidence of the scriptures. We have the evidence of the witnesses. Thirdly, we have the evidence of personal experience. The evidence of personal experience. Paul's personal experience. He says in verse eight, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. Paul has already shown how the Old Testament speaks of Christ's resurrection. We see in the New Testament that Jesus rose from the dead. Paul gives us five different people or people groups that testify to the resurrection of Jesus. This is sufficient evidence. But he calls one more witness to the stand, himself. Paul, too, had seen the risen Lord. He describes himself here as one who was untimely born. His encounter with Christ was much different from the other witnesses and came much later after Jesus had ascended back to the Father in heaven. In Acts chapter 9, we read of the conversion of Saul as he is on his way to Damascus. And here, Luke affirms that what Paul is saying to the Corinthians is indeed true. We read that a light from heaven blinds the man from Tarsus, and Saul hears a voice speaking. And when Saul inquires as to who it is speaking to him, we read this response in Acts 9, 5, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. Saul encountered the risen Lord who is now at the Father's right hand. And we read of Saul's conversion and his baptism. And later in the chapter, stunning, we read in 920 that immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. Saul of Tarsus would become Paul the apostle. He had truly met the Christ and had been born again. And most of us are familiar with his story that before this miraculous event, he was a hater of Jesus Christ. He was a hater of Christians. He persecuted them. He had them thrown in prison. He was present at the stoning of Stephen. He was giving approval to his death and overseeing his execution. But his life and direction were changed in an instant. And he would become the apostle to the Gentiles. And many would come to know Christ because of his preaching Many believers would be strengthened in their faith because of his ministry and his credibility would become great among the churches. When he tells the Corinthian believers here that he too encountered the risen Christ, he is telling the truth and his word can be trusted. Although Paul considered himself to be born too late, and refers to himself in verse 9 as the least of the apostles, his testimony of personal experience gives us even greater evidence for the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why was it so important for Christ to raise from the dead? Was it not enough that he died for our sins to appease the wrath of a holy God? It's a great question. I'm really glad you asked. And it's one that needs an answer. And Paul addresses that in verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith also is vain. 
The word means empty. It means useless. According to Paul, whose every written word was inspired and superintended by the Spirit of God, it does make a difference. For without his resurrection, we have no hope of a future personal resurrection from the dead. And that is a problem because we are all going to die. Hebrews 9.27 says, it is destined for man to die once and then to face judgment. But we are not those who do not have hope. We have evidence from the scriptures that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. We have evidence from the witnesses that Christ was raised from the dead. And we have the evidence from personal experience from the Apostle Paul that Christ was raised from the dead. All three of these provide evidence beyond reasonable doubt for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And therefore, beloved, we have hope. Verse 22, Paul says, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. That is our hope. Because Christ is raised, we can be confident that we too will be raised. And what a glorious hope that is. Amen. Well, without this hope, there would be no need for us to come to the Lord's table this morning. Because there would be no hope of a personal resurrection or the reality of heaven or everlasting life if our Lord and Savior died but remained in the grave. Listen to what Paul says when giving the Corinthians instructions on the Lord's Supper. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six, he says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. He is coming again, and he has to be raised from the dead in order to come back. Hallelujah. I hope he comes back today. I don't know about you. Right before kickoff. That would be a great time. I don't need to see one more Super Bowl commercial. And as a man from Indianapolis, I don't need to see Tom Brady get one more ring. I hope that we could all say today, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Martin Luther said, there are two days on my calendar, this day and that day. Today, And that day, the day of his return. Are you ready for his return? Are you looking forward to his return? Do you want it to be today? Friends, the next event that we should be looking forward to more than any other event on our calendar is the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And may he come soon. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the incredible evidence that we have from the scriptures that you indeed were raised from the dead. Thank you for all those witnesses, Lord, that during the time of this writing, many could have gone to, nearly 500 people who could attest that Jesus really was raised from the dead. Thank you that they were able to see you and, and talk with you and hear you to break bread with you, to walk with you, to see that you were not a ghost, to see the nail prints in your hands and feet, to see that you were alive. 
Lord, it's incredible to think about as those disciples were gathered together for fear of the Jews with the doors locked and Jesus came in and stood in their midst. Lord, only a risen Savior could do that. Thank you for the Apostle Paul and for his dramatic conversion. Lord, how his life was radically changed and how immediately, Lord, after receiving his sight, he went into the synagogue proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God. We thank you for this, these incredible evidences for your resurrection. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today that is a skeptic, a non-believer, that, Lord, you would take these evidences and cause them to see that Jesus is risen and that he is their only hope and that today they would place their faith and trust in him alone for the forgiveness of sins and for everlasting life. Lord, for us, as we deal with skeptics in our schools, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, Lord, those who do not believe in the Christ and in his resurrection, may we have boldness to share these incredible witnesses of your resurrection. And we'll thank you for what you do in us and through us. May it be for your glory in Jesus' name, amen.